and I, Father John of Toronto, just like Father John of Kronstadt, and I, uh, I'm happy to be with you, and it's, I enjoyed the liturgy very much. I have to be honest, I've never prayed a, a 100% um, litur uh, liturgy in, in, in English, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, so uh, it's a blessing to be with you, and again, like I said, I'm privileged and honored to be with you. I was praying last night so that God may send me um, a topic of his of his choice. I had some some topics in mind that um, revolve around apologetics. Apologetics is defending the Christian faith. So I figured um, I'll speak about apologetics, and I keep kept praying, and I felt that I was driven to speak about the quest for identity and the search for meaning. And as I was walking into the church, and I saw those inscriptions on the board. And I, said, and I said, maybe this is a message from God to confirm what I'm speaking about. Why am I here? Where am I heading? What is the purpose of my life? Um, so we'll, we'll speak. And I, when, I, when I speak, I'd love to make this a, a discussion. I mean, this is a very informal setting, so please help me out. Let's have a, a dialogue lecture. Who am I? What is, who am I? The quest for identity and the search for meaning in life. What are life's essential questions? Uh, philosophers call these questions the existential questions in life. What are they? Who am I is one of them. There are three. Who am I actually encompasses those three questions. Can you help me out? Past, present, future in the journey of life. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? These are the three existential questions in life that philosophers and scholars have struggled with or struggled to come up with, with um, fulfilling answers for. In the journey of life, we have a past, our origin. We have a present, why we're here, our meaning and purpose. And we have a future, where we're going. We ought to ask ourselves these questions every now and then. Because if you don't know or if you you don't pause and ask yourself these questions, you probably would go somewhere else other than you would intend to go. So life essentials questions is where, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? All of these questions put together will formulate your identity. Who I am or who am I? Questions for you. If you were to take a poll in our culture and ask others that you work with or you go to school with, and ask them this question, where do you get your identity from? What would they say? Where do you get your identity from? Family, yes. 
Culture. Culture. Society. Culture. Synonymous. Career. Career. Perfect. What do you do? When you meet somebody for the first time, you usually ask, what do you do? Because what you do determines who you are. You're an engineer. That's your identity. I've learned something. I've been in Toronto for four days. I've learned something. Toronto has pharmacists and engineers. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. Almost every other person I meet is a pharmacist or an engineer. Doctors. And doctors. Uh, forgive me. And doctors too. <laughs> and accountants. Well, pharmacists in Egypt are called doctors. So, yani, uh, it's inclusive. <laughs> okay. Where else? Religion. Religion, yes. I'm Christian. I'm Muslim. I'm Buddhist, yes. We get our identities from a varied... Am I being recorded? Oh, yes, sorry. Okay, no, <laughs> We usually tell you when you're done. Okay, okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. Uh, my possessions. I'm the rich man who has this. I'm the poor man who doesn't have that. My possessions sometimes determine uh, my worth, my value, um, my physical appearance. Some people get their identity from their physical appearance, the way they look. The career, as you mentioned, I am what I do for a living. And if you don't have a source from which you draw your identity, you become vulnerable to others. Others will tell you who you are if you don't know who you are yourself. But the question remains, who am I? Who am I? Now, the next slide is probably the the um, theme slide or the, the conclusion of our discussion, although we haven't begun yet. Begun yet? Who determines your identity? If I want to know who I am, I have to go back to what? Remember the three questions. My identity depends on my understanding of what? Father Anthony Cunyaris, I heard you mention his name earlier. He actually he, he quoted that statement. My identity depends on my origin. Where I came from determines to a large extent who I am. And who I am, my identity, is inclusive of what? Value and purpose, which leads into meaning in life. If I live a meaningless life, then I need to re-evaluate my identity and re-evaluate my origin, where I came from, and let me explain what I mean by that. So origin leads into, or determines, I should say, who I am, who I am, my values, and my purpose in life. My identity gives me value and worth, and purpose. Once I understand my value, worth, and purpose, then my life will become, or I will, my life will acquire meaning in itself. I want this. As a matter of fact, I want another step beyond that, which we'll get to in a second. Anybody can help me? When your life is meaningful, you are what? Filled with fulfillment, another... And the summum bottom of all, of everyone. The one thing we all strive to have and feel. It's three letters. Joy. Thank you. Joy. We all want joy. We all want joy as our kind of ultimate quest for joy. Joy can never come from 
a meaningless life. You have to have meaning to have joy. Well, for me to have meaning, I have to know who I am. I have to have value and purpose. And who I am with my value and purpose will go back to where I came from. Let me expand on this. I'll give you an example. Do you have a pen? Anybody have a pen I can borrow? I know in this, in this day and age, pens are Thank you so much. So, let me give you an example. If I, if this pen were to speak, and I ask it, when are you most meaningful? When do you think this pen would say it is most meaningful? When it's, when it's being used to? To sign a check. No, that's when you are most fulfilled. <laughs> Not the pen. The pen feels used. The pen would be most fulfilled when it's being used to write with. Don't you think it would say that? Why is that? Because it's fulfilling its what? Purpose. Well, who determined that very fact that this pen ought to be used to, to write with? the creator of this pen or the person who put this pen together. So for this pen to be fulfilled, it ought to fulfill its to be or to feel joy or fulfillment, it ought to fulfill its purpose for which it was created. This purpose is hidden in the mind of the person who fashioned it. Likewise, and when it, when it's being used, it's being so submissively used by its creator. Only then will fulfillment be acquired and achieved. Thank you. So we, we too, go back to our Creator. Well, I'm assuming that our origin is our Creator. But we will see the other side of the coin. If those, for, for those who do not believe in God as their Creator, what they say about meaning and purpose in life. But if my origin, where I came from, is God, then in his mind, I have, a, I have a purpose. And only when I fulfill this purpose, I live a meaningful life. And only when I, when I live a meaningful life, I am filled with joy. Alright. Let's see what identity and what's the... Um, what atheists believe, or I should say non-believers. When I say atheists, you have to be inclusive of, of non-believers in general. Because we were just talking for three days with the seminary about atheism and agnosticism and all the isms in the world. But I, um, let's see what non-believers say when it comes to identity and purpose. Let's look at Richard Dawkins. And I assume many of you have heard of Richard Dawkins. Okay. The most famed atheist in Oxford. He said, we are survival machines. Robot vehicles programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. This is his um, perspective on identity. Let's look at one more. Francis Crick, also a physicist, a biologist. He said, you, your joys, your sorrows, if you okay, um, your memories and ambitions, your sense of personal identity and free will, are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and their associated molecules. That's who you are. 
One more from Richard Dawkins. A couple more and we'll, we'll move on. I just wanted to give you the counter perspective. When you don't believe that your origin is God, you were formed, created by time plus matter plus chance or some collocation of molecules or primordial soup or bacteria or protein or what have you. If this is your origin, then you are led to believe that this is your identity. And we'll see what that leads to meaning or how that leads to meaning. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, Richard Dawkins says, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason for it, nor any justice. The universe at the bottom has no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. This is Richard Dawkins' perspective on identity and meaning. Now, if I were at the lecture when Mr. or Dr. Dawkins said these words, I would have liked to ask him one question. What would be the question you'd want to ask? DNA neither knows nor cares. We are all blind. How do you know that we are all blind? You must be the privileged one. You see, if DNA doesn't know, doesn't care, we're all blind, how do you know? Self-refuting, of course. Let's look at a few more. Now we looked at identity. Let's see, those who don't believe that their creator or their origin comes from God, let's see what they said. John Paul Sartre, the existentialist, famed existentialist, said, it's meaningless that we are born. It's meaningless that we die. We are empty bubbles floating on the sea of nothingness. That's his perspective on meaning in life. Well, it's natural to believe that this is what you feel and what you think as far as meaning. Well, if you came from nothing, what is your value? What is your worth? George Bernard Shaw said, life is a disease. Right off the bat, life is a disease. The only difference between one man and another is the stage of the disease at which he lives. Lastly, Bertrand Russell, another philosopher, he said, we, build, we must build our lives upon the firm foundation of unyielding despair. As you, as you and we can go on and on and on. But that's the eighth or the non-believer's perspective on identity and meaning. Now, let's look at our, our I'm assuming we're all now believing that our origin comes from a creator. I oftentimes ask the audience and I say, would you rather be, existentially speaking, would you rather be blindly evolved or deliberately created? blindly evolved or deliberately created by someone who loves you and bestows that love upon you. So, I want to get you to speak with me or, or respond with me. Now, a believer's response. What is your identity? Who are you? Help me out. Who are you? Son of God. Perfect. At the very first, I mean, it's a, the most commonly 
uh, thought that comes to mind, common thought that comes to mind is, I am a child of God. I am a son and a daughter of God. Who am I? What else? I mean, that carries with it a lot of things. What else? Product of love. Product of love. I like the way you think. Tell me more. <laughs> we are a product of love. What else? I love what you said. Anyone else? Who are we? Who are you? There's no wrong answers. I love what you said. I am made in the image of God. Good. What else? Okay. First, who are we to Him who created me? For me to know who I am, I need to get into the mind of God and ask Him, who am I to you? Only then will I know, truly know who I am to myself. You see? Because my identity is hidden in the mind of God, just like the identity of the pen is hidden in the mind of its creator or the person that made it. I want to, before I begin listing a few things as to our identity to God, I want to ask you, um, any of you studies anthropology or have heard of anthropology? The word anthropos means what? Human. What does the word anthropos really mean? It means human. Anthropology, forgive me. Anthropology is the study of human existence and civilizations and all that. But anthropos is a Greek word. It's a complex Greek word that means a creature that looks up. That's what anthropos means. So we are created by God as the creatures that are intended to always look up. All other creation, animals alike, they're created to look down. We're the only creatures that are intended to look up, up for God, up to God. Number one, we bear the image of God, as you said. We have the image of God. An unbeliever cannot make that claim. We have the image of God. And if, uh, if you would like to know who God is, if you would like to know who, if any of you went to the Louvre and saw the Mona Lisa, painted by whom? Da Vinci. Okay, if you want to know the mind of Leonardo da Vinci, what do you see? His paintings, he reflects his mind, his thoughts, his love, his intentions, his character in the product he makes. God reflects his mind, his intention, his character in the product he made, you and I. So we bear the image of God. In Mark chapter 12, there's an interesting discourse between some people and Christ. Some people went to Christ and said, Lord Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? He responded and said, what? Show me. A coin and then he said whose image do you see on this coin they said Caesar's so he replied and said what give to Caesar's that which is Caesar's and give to what God that which is 
God's. It's as if he's saying, whose image is on you? The image of God. Give that to God. This image is of Caesar's. Give it to him. Why did he have to continue the, state, the sentence and say, and give to God that which is God's? I'm not asking you about the image of God, but he's intending or he's implying to say, whose image is on you, the image of God, give it to him. So we bear the image of God, the image of Christ. So let's um, deviate from what we're saying for, for a couple of minutes. What's the correlation between my identity and the image of Christ? There is a relationship between being and doing. Being and doing. In our culture, Western culture, Eastern culture, our culture in general, um, you are defined by what you do. What you do determines who you are. And this is the existentialist ideology. Okay? Existence precedes essence. That's existentialism in a, in, a, in a statement. Existence precedes essence. What you do determines who you are. Christian theology reverses it. Who you are determines what you're capable of doing. Sorry. Who you are determines what you're capable of doing. So we can say, or we can ask, God created us in His image and what? Likeness. Tayyip, are they synonymous? I mean, image, likeness in Arabic, surah, mithal, it's the same thing. I mean, are they the same thing? What's the difference between image and likeness? Why did he have to say image and likeness? Can you help me? Are they the same thing? No, they're not, or else he wouldn't have said image and likeness. Image is what we are. All humanity shares in the image of God. We're all created in the image of God. Believers, non-believers alike. We all bear the image of God, but we don't all share in the likeness of God. The image of God is what we are. The likeness of God is what we ought to be. The image of God is what we are. The likeness of God is what we grow to be. That's why when God said we're all in the... When, uh, um, we're all created in the image of God, that's good. We all share in that image, but we don't all share in that likeness, and we ought to strive to be in the likeness of God. Image is being, likeness is what? Doing. Hence the relationship between being and doing. I can't be in the likeness of God unless I realize that I am in the image of God. Only then will I grow to be in His likeness. Okay. We'll skip a few things just for the sake of time. So number one, I am a child of God. No. Number one, I bear the image of God. Sorry. I bear the image of God. Number two, I belong to God. I am His. I am Christ's. I was bought. I was purchased. 
in 1 Corinthians 6, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, not yours. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you are sealed. What does sealed mean? If you have any book in the church or any church and you open the first page and you see a stamp, the seal, this belongs to Saint Moses and Saint Catherine. What does the seal mean? A sign of what? Ownership. We are sealed. In other words, we have a transfer of ownership. Just like you know when you go and you purchase a vehicle from someone else, you go to the, I don't know what you call it here, Department of Motor Vehicles, something like that, and you transfer your car from one owner to the other. In baptism and chrismation, we did a transfer of ownership from Satan to Christ. It's a transfer. How is that transfer? How did that occur through the seal of the Holy Spirit? The sign of ownership bought with a price. Any of you know this player? Soccer player? Brazilian? Retired? Okay, a very famous, you know him, Una? Kaká, very good. <laughs> That's why I wanted someone else to say his name. Anyway, um, he is an awesome player. I love him. I love watching him. He retired, unfortunately, from Brazil. He's a devout Christian, and he wears a shirt under his jersey that says, I belong to Jesus. And um, FIFA, in, in, when he plays official games, warned him. And they told him, if you, t um, oh, by the way, he scores, he takes off his jersey and flashes this shirt, I belong to Jesus to the world. So FIFA said, you can't do that. If you do that next time, you'll be fined twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 or what have you. He said, I don't care. I'll pay the $20,000. I'll want to score every goal I can score so that I can show the world who I belong to. Great message, isn't it? Now you're going to Google K-A-K-A. -A -A. Okay. St. Augustine said, we are gods. Remember, we're in the second point. We have the image of God. We belong to God. Do not despair of yourselves. You are made in the image of God. If thinking of your weakness, you hold yourselves cheap, value yourselves by the price that was paid for you. If thinking of your weakness, these are very pretty powerful words. If thinking of your weakness, you hold yourselves cheap, value yourselves by the price that was paid for you. And the higher the price, the higher the value. If you have a, if you purchase a, well, you know what I mean. Okay. We are his children, just like you said. We are his children. I am his son. We are his sons and daughters. Okay. What is the significance of being a son or a daughter? I just flashed it on the screen. What does it mean? Okay, I'm the son of God. Yeah, I mean, okay. So, if son, St. Paul said, if says, if son, then heir. In other words, I will have an inheritance of my father. Imagine your father is so rich and he promised you an inheritance if you love him back. That's all he wants. If you just say, I do, to his proposal. And he's so rich. He has everything he promised you. If you are his son, you are also heir. As Paul, St. Paul says in Galatians, he who overcomes shall inherit. Inherit what? Some things? All things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. All things. 
Not just a nice house and a nice car. All things. Okay. Number four. So I bear his image. I am his. We belong to him. I am his son and daughter. And finally, I am loved by him. And because he is our father and we are his children, he loves us dearly. And if I were to ask you this question, what is your biggest asset in your life? The love that people have towards you, that's your capital. Okay? The more you're loved by others, the more wealthy, not materialistically, but wealthy you are. Okay. Uh, Victor Hugo said, the greatest happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. Love for ourselves, or rather, love in spite of ourselves. And our Lord said, the greatest commandment I give you, or new commandment I give you, is for you to love one another. How? As I have loved you. How did God love us? If you want to have a two-minute discussion on love, or a summary on love, pretty simple. How did God love me? In spite of myself. How, uh, how should you love others in spite of whether they deserve this love or not? How else? How did God love me? God did not love me because of who I am. He loves me because of who He is. I may not be worthy. I am not worthy of this love, but I, it doesn't matter if I'm worthy or not. This is the way we should love one another. Sometimes we wait and see if this person... Sorry, if this person deserves my love or not, that's not the way God loves us. Because if we wait to see if we deserve God's love, we're in big trouble. You see? This is how we ought to love one another, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. So let's say, I give you a practical example. I walk into the building, I open the door to the person behind me, and I let them in. They walk in out of love. They don't even say thank you. I look at them and I say, okay, well, next time, I'm not even going to open the door for you. Just an example. Is that love the way God loved me? Absolutely not. I open the door for you because I love you regardless of your reaction or not. This is just an example. In summary, I am made in his image. I belong to him. I am his child. I am loved by him. If you want to summarize our Christian life in general, into one sentence, back to being, identity, and doing, the whole Christian life is simply becoming what you are, a child of God, image of God, loved by God, and uh, owner or belonging to God. So strive to be who you are, and that is spirituality or the spiritual struggle into just one thought, one sentence. C.S. Lewis Abuna, uh, when should I finish? Okay. <laughs> I just want to be sensitive to your schedule and your time. Um, C.S. Lewis said, um, anyone know C.S. Lewis? Yeah. Very good. I'm a big, 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 huge fan of C.S. Lewis. He's a Christian author. He, he was ex-atheist. And he wrote a classic called Mere Christianity. I advise you all, or I suggest <laughs> that you would uh, check it out. Mere Christianity. 
And um, he said this, God made us, am I blocking your... God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. The car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us joyful in our own way without bothering about Him. God cannot give us a joy and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such a thing. In other words, we're designed to run on God as a fuel for us. Okay. What is this... Uh, what does this remind you of? What is this picture of? Prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I love my favorite story in the scriptures. Okay. When did the son come back to his father? When he learned two things. When did he come back to his father? Help me. When he had nothing, when he had nothing, he learned something, and then something else. Yes, he learned who he is. It says in the scripture when he what came back to himself, when he reflected and sat with himself and said, "Who am I?" Okay. But there's another piece of information that he had to learn for him to come or to go running to his father. He learned who he is, and he learned who. His father is. Okay, let me read to you the verse. When he, when he came to himself, reflected upon himself and said, Who am I? He said, How many of my father's hired servants have what? Bread enough and to spare. What does that say about the father? How generous and loving he is. And these are the only two pieces of information you need to have for you to come running to your father. You need to know who you are. You need to know who he is. And only then will you go running to him knowing that he will greet you like this. Jonathan Edwards says, Of all the knowledge that we can ever obtain, of all the knowledge that we can ever obtain, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are the most important. The knowledge of who God is and the knowledge of ourselves, who we are, are the most important. And many of us, I'm included of course, we go about our life without stopping, reflecting, coming to ourselves, knowing who we are and knowing who God is is. Okay, let's build on this thought. And I want to ask you a question. What is Satan's very first trick? It's not pride. I made this up, so I need to correct me. I mean, forgive me if, if you don't agree with me. What is his first trick or device or temptation? Not pride, yes. Lust or desire. Lust and desire, even before that. Doubt. Doubt, even before that. 
The very first one, huh? It, it, keep in mind, it ties into what we're saying. Yes. Lies. You're very close. God doesn't love you. Doubt, deceit. Mm -hmm. Knowledge. Knowledge, yes. You are equal. We're all what? You are equal. You are equal, yes. Very good. His first device and temptation, I call it the sin of forgetfulness. You're going to say, huh? What? Let me explain. Now, Satan tempted Adam and Eve. There you go. Thank you. Satan tempted Adam and Eve by offering them what? A counterfeit of what they already had. Weren't they created in the image and likeness of God? He came and told them what? If you eat from the street, you will be like God. They should have told him, we're already like God. But he made them what? Forget who they are. He does the same thing with us every single day. He makes us forget who we are. How wealthy, how rich, how wonderfully made, as it says in the Psalms, Jeremiah, somewhere in the Old Testament, how wonderful we are, and he makes us forget who we are. My beloved, don't fall in the sin of forgetfulness. Always remind yourself. Sometimes, I was talking to some, a couple of youth, and they're struggling, in the mid-40s. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. Okay. And they were saying, you know, I'm struggling because of this and this and this and this. And this. I said, how old are you? And, I, and, and he, they were men, so that was okay to ask. And, um, and they said, and I know them. I said, you've lived all this life. Why are you worried now that God is going to leave you? Why can't you go back with your timeline from your childhood when you were in Egypt and you came to California and you worked in this company and God arranged for you to go to this college, arranged for you to have this wife, arranged for you to have these children and you were so, after all these years, why would He leave you now? You just need to what? Remember all the blessings that God has given you throughout your life. We oftentimes forget. Yes? with this forgetfulness in it. Very good. Very good. Very good point. Now, I'm glad you mentioned this because forgetfulness is also sometimes, I mean, it, it's sometimes good for us. Good for us. The priest prays in the liturgy and he says, Does God serve the The remembrance of evil entailing death. So yes, it's good for us to forget evil so that we cannot be re-tempted by it and die through it. Yes, but it's good for us also not to forget the goodness that God has dealt with us with. You see? So forgetfulness could be a double-edged sword. Forget the evil you've done lest you fall again into it. But remember the goodness that God has done with you. Um, Hedy Green, I'm not sure if any of you know her, you can Google her name. Hedy Green, when she died in 1916, her net worth was over $100 million. At that time, she was the richest, not lady, person in the world. Um, 
However, had it been lived such a poor, poor, desolate life, she was so rich but lived a miserable life to the point where I'll give you a couple of stories. She had, her son um, broke his legs and she, no cars at the time, I guess, she took him to the farthest hospital because it was a few dollars cheaper than the nearest hospital to the point where they had to amputate his leg because she wanted to save a few dollars. She would never cook her meals um, with heat to save on the heating bill or what have you. She was so rich yet living a very poor life. Let me ask you this question. What do you think of her now when I say this? A lot of bad things. Huh? She's cheap to say the least, but a lot of other things. Right? Foolish, crazy, cheap. Uh, it, makes, it makes me think of us because... Yeah, that's what I'd like you to say. Very well. That's the point. Now, if we say all these things about her, my beloved, we do the same thing. We are Hetty Green. We're so rich and wealthy. Yet we live such a poor, miserable, desolate life. Because we what? Forget the richness that we have, which is in our identity. Our identity, who we are. Um, I'll finish with this. If any of you struggle with low self-esteem, now this is the buzzword in the US, I'm sure if it's in Canada, well, everybody wants self-esteem, self-worth self-value, feel good about yourself. You go to any bookstore, you see the self-help section, everybody's flocking to this section to have self-help, self-help, and we listen to Joyce Meyer and Joe Osteen and all of these self-help motivational speakers, Anthony Robbins, all these people. If you ever struggle with this, I advise you to read two chapters in Ephesians. I call it Ephesians as the epistle of the church and Christ, yes, but the first two chapters in Ephesians are the greatest chapters that help you remember who you are. Let me see, let me show you what it says in Ephesians 1 and 2. Just two chapters. You are blessed, these are quotes from, the, from Ephesians 1 and 2. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings. You are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. You are accepted in the beloved. You are redeemed. You know the mystery of God's will. You have obtained an inheritance. You are sealed with the Spirit. You are His workmanship. You are the family of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Need I say anything else? This is what St. Paul said in Ephesians. If you can just write a list of all of these, put them in your bedroom, and every day you wake up, you remember who you are. So that you can live, remember, the whole Christian life is becoming what you are. We all ask questions, how can I grow in my spiritual life? Yes, fast and pray, come to the liturgy, partake of the Eucharist and all of these wonderful means of grace, absolutely. But if you were to summarize all this together, become who you are and this is how you grow into the image of Christ. So, as we said earlier, origin, where we came from, will determine or dictate or determine our identity, which includes value and purpose. And this value and purpose will give us what? Meaning in life. Once we live a meaningful life, we will have what? Joy and fulfillment. Glory and honor be to God forever and ever. Amen. 
Um, any questions or comments? I want to hear your comments. Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Um, uh, should we can hear you all. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're on tape. Go ahead. Um, so it's great talk, thank you for that. I just have one question. So you mentioned something about like a ransom or Christ having to or God having to pay the devil almost something like that for us, something something like that earlier on. Can you elaborate on that or yeah. explain? <laughs> yeah. Um, God had to pay the devil something for us is not Orthodox teaching. Okay. Forgive correct me if I'm wrong, Abuna. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that, yeah. That is not Forgive me if this is what I, I don't think I said it word for word like that because that's not that's not orthodox teaching. Yeah. Why do you have to ask this question now? <laughs> Why do you want me to fall in heresy? Um, no, 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 it's okay. Yeah, this is a very um, sensitive discussion or topic, I should say, um, because. Some believe, again, let me just be general without getting into specifics so that we can, we can be safe. There is a slight difference between Eastern theology of salvation and Western theology of salvation. And I can give you some books. Of, any Abuna, please correct me if I'm wrong. I can give you some books that will give you some details, further details. But the, uh, the Eastern theology of salvation is this. God had saved us from death. He died for me. But there's more. He died for me in order to give me what? Life. Key for our Eastern Orthodox theology. Western theology does not mention that second component as much. Western theology is more judicial. He did this. He, you know, there's, there's some kind of sentence of death. God is waiting to kill someone and he killed Christ and said it's more judicial. Eastern theology is more living in the knowledge of God, living in the in the love of God and the life of God and so on and so forth. This is all I'm gonna say. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, that's very well said, George. And um, there's a beautiful article that I can provide for anybody who is interested, which very humbly, and the author is has no need to be humble other than that he's human, but he's one of the most learned people in theology on the face of the earth. Um, and talking about all kinds of different models of salvation, which are patristic. They're all patristic. They all have scriptural references. There's about six. None of them are complete, but some are more complete than others. Together, they form closer to what we can call a whole. So, our orthodox theology, very, to, to be very gentle, we, we accept all of them, however, we favor some over others. Mm. That answers your well question. Said, well said. Any other comments or questions? I, I, I want to learn from you, so please. Two, there are two purposes for you. One, 
you share amongst everyone else. The second is, what's your name? Fedi. Is specific to Fedi. One is overarching, the second is specific. So what is the one that you all share with? Let me ask you this question. What is your purpose? I was asked this question in a conference a couple of months ago. One youth, not 40 years old, one youth, but 25 years old, so asked the question, what is my purpose in life? And he's expecting a 30-second answer. What's your purpose in life? Dirt. Huh? I love what you What's your name? Teresa. Teresa, you have very good answers. Yes, but before that, there's something else. For you to do that, you have to do something else. Your purpose in life is twofold. Very good, yes. Very good. Let's summarize it even further. Your purpose in life is twofold. To know God and to make Him known. That's it. To know God and to make Him known. When you know God, what will you do? You will love God. When you love God, what will you do? You want to get to know Him more. You will love Him more. Get to know Him more. And when you do that, when you get into that loop, what's the next step? You want everybody else to know the person you love. Because it will be double the pleasure. Like when you go watch a very nice movie that you enjoy so much by yourself, you think on your way back home, I can't wait till I watch this with my wife or my husband, because it will be even, you know? No? Okay, okay. But if you want to share the, the wealth or the, the enjoyment with someone else. So your purpose in life is to know God and to make Him known. All of us share this purpose. However, for you, Betty, there's a specific purpose for you. Why did God create, you know, intended for you to be in this era? Why not in the 1920s? Why not in 50 years from now? There's a reason why. Why did he intended for you to be here in Toronto? Why did he intend for you to be a male and a female? All of these things that are specific for you that you need to search, say, God, what am I here for? I want to glorify your name by, me, by knowing you, loving you, and making you known, but I have a specific purpose myself I need to fulfill. Only when you fulfill that purpose, you, only when you um, live this purpose will you be fulfilled and joyful. Any other comments or questions? How do you find that purpose? How do you find this purpose? There are a lot of tools. Yeah. There is the greatest tool we have is Abuna. I'm throwing this back at you, Abuna. Um, <laughs> um, yes, this is a good question. How do I know my purpose in life? Um, I'll give you my personal. I'll give you some examples. I. Um, I went, my father is a priest, and, and he actually is a priest of um, a very famous church now. He was the priest of the Botrosea church for 35 years, um, as a side note. Anyways, the Botrosea of my childhood church where I was baptized and raised and all that. Anyway, so when we came from, uh, from Egypt um, 30 plus years ago or so, um, I went to high school, I went to college, and in Egypt, you're either a a lawyer, not a, you're like a, um, an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, or an accountant. There's nothing else. Because your grades kind of determine where you go. You have no say in the matter. I've got 80%, I'll be an engineer. 
my brother was an engineer, so I went into engineering, and I hated it. I kept praying, God, is this what you want me to be, an engineer? I hate my mind is not doesn't function this way. I struggled, and I kept praying. I asked my uh, father of confession to pray for me. I actually went through a test, um, a self, like uh, what your likes and dislikes. I forgot what you know what. Like a self-inventory, self-assessment, one of those tests. Is it? Do you have it? You've done it? Uh, sort of. Sort of, okay. <laughs> so, Abuna, there's an inside joke. Half our church are HR professionals. Oh! Recruiters. Okay. Perfect. Spend all day doing these tests. So, then, there you go. So, I, I went through these tests and I realized my mind is made up in... in Arabic will say, not science, but literature. So I delved into psychology and philosophy, and this is my background, psych and philosophy. And my, my dad said, I remember when he said, huh, psychology? What are you gonna do with that? And, but of course, he encouraged me to do what I love to do, and I, I realized my purpose was to be into this field because I've prayed, I've done my research, I've, done, I've tried something, that I realized wasn't for me, and I delved into this path. So, prayers, asking your father of confession to pray for you, doing, connecting with the HR folks in your church, all of these things will help you. Will help you determine your purpose. Because see, God doesn't play hide and seek with us. He wants you to know your, His will in your life. The problem is not that God is so silent. The problem is that we are not tuned into His voice. We have to have St. Paul says in Hebrews. We have to have the exercise what? Senses. How else Exercised senses so that we can. Ah, that's the voice of God. I now know what He wants in my life. Just like He said in John 10, I am the shepherd. My sheep, what? Hears my voice and they follow me. Why? Because they recognize this is my voice. So recognize the voice of God that He's been speaking all along to tell you, Fadi, what you want to do. Now you're not going to ask any more questions, I'm sure. <laughs> Anything else? Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I love being with you. And please pray for me. with us. We pray for you and we pray that God will reward you richly for all your love that you have shared with us. Let's stand in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being the source and the origin of everything that is meaningful to us. Thank you, Lord, for having made us, Lord, fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Lord. Please, Lord, give us to know you and to know ourselves more. Better to know ourselves, Lord, than to conquer a city. Better to know you, Lord, than anything else in the whole wide world. In the name of Jesus, through the intercessions and prayers of all your saints, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father, who art in heaven. Now the love of God the Father and the grace of His only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and may the peace of the Lord be with you all.